Welcome back to Patient World. Today, we're blessed to have a special guest, Dr. Christine Coe. Dr. Coe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Hester. I'm honored to be here. It's our pleasure. Let's get started by learning more about you. Tell the audience about yourself. I'm a dermatologist and dermatopathologist. And dermatopathology means that if you've ever had a skin biopsy, a little piece of your skin, or maybe a larger piece of your skin taken off, then someone, a doctor is looking at that under the microscope and checking to see what it is, if it's bad or good, if it's skin cancer or not. And that's that person is called a dermatopathologist. So I do that the majority of my time, but I do also see patients um, in clinic. And I'm right now what I mainly do is I see transplant patients, um, solid organ transplant patients who are at high risk for skin cancer. And so I do skin exams on them. Um, so that's what I do in my job. And I have two kids. One is 15. She's a daughter. And I have a son who's 12. And I'm married. And my son is deaf and has cochlear implants. And that has been a big influence on me as a mother and physician. Right. So can you tell the audience about some helpful tips and hacks, so to speak, things that you think that the audience needs to know, but they may not be aware of at this time that could improve their health? Yes. So one thing that I learned more as being the mom of a patient, sort of a patient advocate. Mm -hmm. And then I would sort of test it out on seeing my patients at, you know, in my doctor role. I think one thing that's very important is that patients or patient advocates, you know, whoever's in the room across from the doctor kind of can really influence the interaction. You may think that you can't. And even as a doctor, when I'm wearing my doctor hat, I didn't fully realize how much the patient or patient advocate family member does actually influence me as a doctor. I hadn't really thought about it. But there was a key interaction um, when I, as the mom of a patient, where I realized, oh, wow, like what I do is really changing this interaction for bad or for good. And so I think that's really key. I'm not saying that as a patient, you need to go in and be like, doctor, you know, I love you. and Let me give you gifts. And, you know, that's not what you need to do. But I think if you go in as your authentic self and politely force the doctor to deal with that authentic self, the interaction will be completely different than if you do what I was initially doing and going in and trying to be a good mom of a patient. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by authentic is I don't need to go in and say, oh, and I'm Korean and I live in New Haven and blah, blah, blah. What I mean is go in authentically knowing what you want from that visit. And so it sounds so simple and almost kind of Mickey Mouse, like elementary. But I would say that I wasn't doing that necessarily as the mom of my son when he had serious, acute medical issues that needed to be taken care of. That's such an important point. Uh, 
I agree completely. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, oh, no, I just no. needed to, to interject. Yeah. Because that, and, and I would say, yeah. like, why wasn't I? And why don't patients? There's no blame here. I don't blame myself. And I don't blame patients for coming in and wanting to be a good patient. I think that's a lot of it sometimes out of politeness. You know, they mm -hmm. want to be respectful to me as the doctor. And I appreciate that. But I think that what happens is, is um, I was scared and anxious and I had a lot of fear and inexperience of being on that side. And so that emotion was sort of subconsciously, unconsciously to some degree influencing me where I would go in and just sort of be like thinking or sort of not thinking about all the things that I'm worried about and assumed to a certain degree that the doctor would know what's in my head and would know what I'm worried about and would know what to do about it. And I think it's a classic cognitive bias um, that you think that someone else knows what's in your mind. And it starts even in elementary school, right? When you think, oh, I like this person and um, oh, they totally know I'm interested in them and it's so embarrassing and they're not talking to me because they know and they're not interested in me. And we just think they automatically assume, you know, that they know and they don't. Mm -hmm. And doctors are the same. They don't know what's in your head. And I realized um, through an interaction, as I said before, that they didn't because I was um, with my son and I was just so tired at that one visit. I was, and that's the other thing. I was exhausted. I was stressed. I was exhausted. He was young. He wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't sleeping well. And so there's that factor too. In addition to fear and anxiety, I was exhausted sometimes. I remember at this one appointment, I was very tired. And so I was just kind of quiet. And I was watching the interaction um, between my son and the healthcare provider. And um, all of a sudden, the provider commented. She said to me, oh, you are so calm today. I am so glad that you are calm and you have let go of all of your fears. And, you know, she was like sort of basically saying I was being a better mom that day. <laughs> And I just kind of laughed inside my head because I was like, you're interpreting my extreme fatigue and detachment actually today as today I'm being a good mom. And I realized in the past, she must have thought I was like, oh, you know, like this mom is a crazy mom. And, um, and so it was just really illuminating to me that you know, to be so misinterpreted. And so I started to then look at my patients and I realized when they come in and say, mm -hmm. doctor, I'm just really tired today and I can't deal with this. I would think, oh, okay. Like what can I do to help this person get through the stuff that we need to get through? Mm -hmm. um, and so then I started doing, and when I realized it didn't offend me as a doctor, it really helped me out. I would start to do that when I would take my son to appointments. I would just say, I'm really offended because on the phone, this is what happened. Or I'm like really tired today and I can't really follow what you're saying right now. And sort of just be authentic in that way with just how I'm feeling. And, you know, it wouldn't always go perfectly well from there, but I think it always went better mm -hmm. than if I'm just like, 
yeah. you know, silent and just let the doctor just go ahead and take over and try to figure out what I'm thinking. Um, so that, that would be my main message. Um, we can really think about what we're seeing as a patient. Like maybe the doctor seems really busy, slow the doctor down. And how can you do that? You can say, doctor, I really need you today. That will make the doctor, it will make a good doctor. And I do think most doctors are good doctors. It will make the doctor slow down. Um, it will make the doctor realize, oh, I'm like rushing around. Let me be mm -hmm. present. You know, so there are ways to do it. Smile as a patient. You don't have to fake it, but look at the doctor and really look in their eyes and smile. That also will cause the doctor to be present. Use as human beings, we mimic body language. We do it sort of without thinking. Lean towards the doctor, you know, um, just use. And, and I know that if you're super anxious, super scared, I've been there as a patient, you may not be able to do any of that. So no pressure, no judgment. Do it the second time. Do it the third time. If unfortunately you start to become an experienced patient, um, you'll have more and more chances to do it. Um, and so you can basically practice it. Um, and that's deliberate practice to just think about how can I make this interaction better? And again, not to put the onus on the patient, but I think it's not hard to smile at the doctor, to call the doctor by the doctor's name, you know, um, Dr. Hester, I'm really glad to be here today. That will automatically change the interaction versus if I'm like, oh, hey, as a patient, you know? So, and again, not to put the onus on the patient, but if you're someone who really feels, I really need the doctor to pay attention to me and I've had bad experiences in the past, I would, I would do those things. Just be upfront with the emotion you have, look into the doctor's eyes, make eye contact, name the doctor, Dr. Hester, I really need you today. I really need you to pay attention to this and really be cognizant of that. Try to say what you are most afraid of. You know, um, I'm afraid I'm dying, right? You know, say it. And um, the doctor won't necessarily know that you're afraid you're dying. And um, so I think really bring your lived experience and expertise in yourself forward. And I know that for me, one of the problems was, is that I didn't have the mental space sometimes to have good self-awareness of my own self. And that is a problem. And when you're stressed, it's hard to develop that and put that forward if you haven't been trained to do that as a child, you know, as an adult. Um, and I never was. So, um, but I think the more that you do it, the easier it gets. And if someone like me can do it, um, and I know that you may think, oh, you're a doctor, you know, you are accomplished at blah, blah, blah. Um, but what I mean is I started at zero in this. Um, I did not know how to be a good patient advocate. And so you can learn it. And I think actually it was detrimental to me to be a physician because I kind of do know how the medical system works and I am very familiar how doctors are busy and can be triggered by sort of needy patients. And so I was trying to be 
come across as a self-sufficient mom who knew and not be trouble and not be a pain kind of to the doctor. Um, and all of that was holding me back and really causing me to not be authentic. And so I actually think I was starting at less than zero. I was starting sort of on the negative side of things. And it took me years, honestly, to realize that I could do it a little differently. And so that's where I really do feel passionate about trying to help others not start at the negative or at zero and um, get better care. And I think it's so profound to hear that from a physician's point of view, because so often there's this void, some of it is real, some of it is perceived um, between doctors and patients. And so to hear your story, I think that that's awesome. I think that's going to help a lot of people overcome some of their fears and barriers and just explain to them, this is what you need to do to best to get the best care. So you wrote a book. Can you tell us about the book? Yes. So I wrote a book. It's called How to Improve Doctor-Patient Connection Using Psychology to Optimize Healthcare Interaction. So it's a really bulky, long title. And it was published by Routledge, an academic publisher. So it's not really a trade publisher. And for people that you don't need to know the difference, but really trade publishers are the ones that get books into bookstores, really. So the book is not really in bookstores, um, but it is in um, my local public library. I got got it into there and it's in our medical library and it is on Amazon um, and it's on Routledge as well. And um, the book really just does delve into my personal story as the mom um, and then also my sort of stories as a physician and the things that I've done wrong and my failings. And um, and it really kind of talks about how you can see better, observe better, how you can hear better, really listen better, and how you can feel better, um, sort of just have more emotional intelligence. And um, um, it's sort of being marketed more, the amount that is being marketed to physicians, but I did actually really write it for patients. And so there are nice little sort of summary things because I did not have time when I was actively really worried about my son to read a book even. So mm-hmm. there's almost like a little cliff note at the end of each chapter of what you can really do, sort of some really practical applications or tips. Um, one is just like eye color. Do you know what your physician's eye color is? As a physician, do you know what your patient's eye color is? Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because it's simple. Again, it's like make eye contact. And this is really true in any relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Make eye contact and really look at the person. And I was like, oh, I do that. And then I realized I don't do that. Like sometimes I'm busy. I'm stressed. As the doctor, I make a beeline for the electronical medical record. I'm like typing, typing, and the patient's over here. And then so I would deliberate practice. Again, it's a psychology concept. Mm -hmm. Are you practicing really to create habit? And so I'd come out of the room and ask myself, did I make eye contact? And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I did. But then the real test was, do I know what that patient's eye color is? And mm-hmm. I'd be like, ugh, I don't know. Was it brown? So then once I really started kind of having that little mini quiz for myself, now I don't have to think about it. I go in the room, I'm like, oh, blue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes me a second, but it's like I looked. Um and it's interesting because people have such beautiful eyes. You know, I'll, uh, now I, I I often I'll be like, oh, I love the color of your eyes, you know, and 
And it just, it, it takes less than 10 seconds, even if I comment, but it automatically changes the interaction for me because I'm present and I can tell the patient, they'll usually involuntarily smile and then I'll involuntarily smile back if I'm not already. And that's what I mean by we mimic, we mirror body image. That's where mm -hmm. social beings and we do that. And immediately it sort of calms things down, I've realized, to a place where both of us feel a little bit more comfortable. Because for new patients, I'm a stranger to them. And actually that new patient is the stranger to me too. Mm -hmm. And I've realized more and more that doctor-patient interaction is sacred. It has to be because people might tell me about sexual interactions in a first visit. Um, invariably for me, I examine genitalia and breasts in a first visit if if the patient will let me. Mm -hmm. When do you ever do that, right? Um, if you're not a sex worker. <laughs> so, um, and and not to put sex workers down, but I, I'm not a sex worker, but, and I have a 12 year old boy and he's fascinated by genitalia right now. And so puberty and all that. And so we talk about it at home too. Um, and, it, and it's natural, it's something, but you know, I, I would never be asking to look at someone's genitalia in a first visit if it's not in that sacred space of doctor patient, mm -hmm. right? And patients, most of my, all of my patients, I don't think would be offering to show me either, unless it's that sacred space. And I think that's something that um, patients really know um, that it has to be a sacred space um, in order for them to share this stuff that's deeply personal. And I will admit, I think it's something that I forgot as a doctor for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and now I fully fully really reinforce that with my patients to the extent that I can. And um, I think that's very important too, to recognize that it's a sacred space. And in that space, you can then really, you should be able to feel safe enough to be fully authentic. Thank you so much for sharing the human side of medicine, you know, the, the kind, humble, side that physicians really do need to show in order to strengthen that bond. And I thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I um, I really believe in your vision and um, I'm amazed at all you're doing with Patient World. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye.